Welcome to the T-Head Popcast. I'm Marty. I'm Moby. And I'm Leland. So, boys, episode... 21! 21! 21. Wow, we're still here. I hope uh, you really enjoyed (laughs) episode 20, listener. Yes. Yes, which we haven't heard yet. (laughs) We're just recording like gangbusters. That seems so long ago. It does. It does seem really long ago. It wasn't that long ago, but it seems long ago. You know, I say that every episode. I can't believe we're still here. And I will probably say that until our final episode. Probably. You know, just seems seems like it fits the bill. Yeah, I think a lot of people out there are also wondering, why are you still here? Well, as I'm looking at our... Why are you here? Well, I was just thinking the <laughs> as same As I'm looking thing. at these cardboard boxes that contain our microphones, with the, like they're practically duct taped together. <laughs> really efficiently, though. I will though. be updating those soon. Excellent. Excellent. That's good to hear. So um, today, another two-segment epi- two episode. Uh, this yeah, time, I've cut out... It. Yeah, <laughs> get used to it. I've cut out a video game variety show. Took a hit. Selflessly, as I am. Selflessly, uh, bullshit. Crazy about cardboard led the charge. They're the hero. Crazy about cardboard is the hero. Yeah, but I choose, so I oh, cut it's out my own for you, segment, not for your segment. No, but it doesn't matter. The segment is a representation of you. If I was selfish, I'd always put my segment in. Now, am I not the culprit for actually suggesting that we drop down to two segments, though? Because one of our segment we expect to be quite long. Do you remember that conversation? You know, you're right. We will turn on you. You're right. You're an asshole. Because <laughs> you, so far, your segment is two for two. That's right. Oh, I got to protect the, yeah. the this is bullshit. movie musings. This is Come bullshit. on. And with fucking, I guess by the time this launches, Infinity War will already have come out. Right? Yeah, I guess so. Because this will uh, come out on the 30th of April. Yeah. Oh, boy. And then the week after this release, well, I guess we're going to probably do an Infinity War bonus, right? It'll come out. Yeah. Is that, is that the plan? We got it. We got gonna, it. We're going to do a bonus. We, we have to. Uh, it should be a whole episode. Yeah. We have to. We have to. I almost Infinity. wonder if we should, like, swap these so this one comes out after Infinity War, so we get Infinity War, like, right on that weekend. Uh, Yeah, we could we could do that. You, you want to make this episode 22? Yeah. All right, listener, okay. you just wow. heard it You're live. Unity <laughs> planning session live. Yeah. Well, I think that makes sense. It does. I think it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of funny because, but then we're going to be talking about Black Panther and how it leads into Infinity War ap- and it's going to come out after. Yeah. Okay. No, come on. Let's just stick to 21. Okay. Look, if it's this bonus, what's a week? It gives people a week to see yeah. it. It gives That's our true. spoiler talk, you know, not as impactful. Right. Listener, yeah. and I mean, we, we waited very three, decisive. We waited three months to do Black Panther, so yeah, we did. Once a week. <laughs> it's like almost irrelevant right now. That's the problem. But yeah, well, and the problem is that we haven't really seen any movies together. Like, when was the last theater movie we went and saw? Blade uh, Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Yeah, Ragnarok. Yeah, the three of us. Ragnarok. I guess that was the mo- uh, the last movie bonus episode we did too right right yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I keep wanting to get to the theater for some of these movies that have been coming out, but I just. Just can't find the time, I guess. Okay, honestly, the next two months is insane. It is. Like, like, I, I wanted to see Blockers. Like, that just came out. It looked oh, like pretty yeah, funny. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I hear the, uh, what's it, uh, Game Night was pretty, I heard actually that was pretty good. okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we then, got um, Solo. Solo. Solo comes out like right beginning of May. Infinity War. Uh, Venom's coming out this year, which was fast. Yeah, that's coming out. You know out. what? Jurassic World. Oh, yeah, wow, yeah. yeah. Kingdom Falls or whatever. Yeah. Fallen yeah, Kingdom. Fallen Kingdom. Uh, like when Momi and I we went and saw Black Panther a couple weeks ago, like 
we're the uh the previews i lean over i'm like we're gonna have to bonus episode every one of those movies yes yes he did like holy fuck it's crazy it's crazy and you know what though i guess we've rolled into banter so that venom trailer garbage trailer yeah and i not really bad really really not say forever ago that the first trailer they need to show us venom yes yes you did they should have we should have seen venom in a link not good that nope. doesn't show me. Doesn't tell me in a fucking link. That doesn't tell me a goddamn thing what that fucking movie. No, about. it doesn't. That was maybe the worst trailer I've ever seen. So bad. It, it, and I'm not a Venom like fan. I'm not really into the whole Spider-Man thing. He's okay in the MCU, but I, if they're trying to capture guys like me that don't really know Venom and just want like a cool movie, right? Like, there's nothing endearing at all that made me want to see that. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. All you saw was like the symbiote in a tube. That was the closest thing you saw. That's true. You and saw then, Tom Hardy screaming. You saw Tom Hardy in a tube. Also, Tom Hardy in the MRI machine or whatever it was. Like, that is so weird out yeah. of context for a first trailer. Mm-hmm. So weird. Yeah, yeah. Not happy. Not happy with it. It doesn't Already bode well off. because... Already pissed off. I don't know what their thinking was behind that as far as a marketing perspective. Like, I would love who does that target? to read somebody's insight on that. Right. Fuck. Yeah, which studio exec passed that? Fire him. Fire him all. Off with their head. <laughs> See? <laughs> Execute them. <laughs> he was a terrible douchebag, but Weinstein got things done. He got oh, good trailers Jesus cut. Christ. No, I meant trailers. <laughs> Jeez. Well, uh, I think I was going to roll on with what I have to say for banter. I may as well. Yeah, go ahead. I haven't gone first for banter in a no, while. No, you haven't. You've been kind. So I didn't really have all that much. Um... I think last episode I talked about Jessica Jones. Uh, I watched like the first 25 minutes of the first hour-long episode of Lost in Space. Oh. Right before you guys came over. Oh. I just read a good review on the whole Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's 25 minutes. Really, it's the first introduction to the characters. Uh, half, three-fifths of the cast so far are children. So, obviously, I hate them. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like I, as, like when you walked in today, Marty. As soon as I said, I can tell already that if you are watching the show and you do not get invested in these characters, you are not going to enjoy the show. Seems like it's going to be very character driven, um, despite being a sci-fi setting, which you know could be, you know, science fiction is basically is just space fantasy, right? Like it's. Yeah, you can make it a sandbox. And sure, do right. A lot it could be it. so fantastical as far as effects and setting and all that stuff. And so I'm hoping, like, and I'm not saying I hate any of the characters. Again, I haven't even watched a full episode. So, but you already get the sense that, okay, I, I got to pay attention and I, I need to almost force myself to invest in these characters if I'm going to enjoy the show. And maybe, maybe the set pieces will push me through some, you know, maybe not liking some characters. I don't know. I don't know. Fun fact, I've supplied some of the material used to build the sets. I think oh, we, cool. I think we have television that fun show. fact about a thousand times. That's still a cool fact. As, as the it movie is, guy, I I think it's been recorded that. before. Okay, as someone that never repeats himself, I will say oh. that, that is... <laughs> well, you know, I, I love okay. uh, Forgetful Moby over here. I just thought it was the first time you heard that fact. <laughs> I love Whoa, it. Oh, Moby! He's my favorite friend. I remember I had heard it. <laughs> when did you get married? Welcome Marty? to the T-Head Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what, we're recording already? 
And then I have one more thing. Um, I thought I would maybe talk about a, a D&D campaign that I'm currently in. Sweet. For about, oh man, how long have we been playing? I think like seven or eight weeks at least. Um, we started at level one, so we're almost about level five. It's going pretty good. I'm playing a forest gnome rogue. His name is the Peregrine. He's basically fantasy Batman. My my, I'm orphaned. My parents were taken away uh, under the rule of this dictator because they were, you know, they were re- rebelling against him. And then he did away with them. And uh, I took on the persona of the Peregrine. So I wear like a, a cowl and I have a cape. And I'm like a vigilante that... You know, and hell bent on taking down dictators. And if I ever see anybody oppressed, I must aid them in any way possible. Well, that's cool. Yeah, it's good. It's a large party we're playing with. When everybody's there, there's eight of us. Oh, wow. wow. There's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Some tedious combat. Well, it's so funny, though, actually. We spend a lot of time bickering amongst our characters on what to do. (laughs) It's the funniest thing. Like, we literally will spend like an hour and a half of a four-hour session, like, bitching and back and forth with each other and like <laughs> just role playing oh it's really fun um uh a couple sessions ago i like snapped at the snapped at the dm because because this dm uh he's been playing for uh he's been playing dungeon dragons for a really long time so this is the most of the group's first foray into fifth edition so um you know um myself and one of the other players were well versed in the rules right so we know how the system works more than even more than the DM, but you know it's basic stuff. If you've been playing D and D, there's maybe a few specific edition rules that you can or cannot employ, right? It's DM's discretion, which I totally am on board with. But um, the way he plays is like so old schooly, and it's not familiar to me, and I don't really like it because it's like I have all these skills that. I'm super good at that. I never roll for it's always it's always like, oh, okay, yeah, you just kind of do it or you don't. Like it's, I don't really know how to describe it, and it's it's fun playing. Like I really enjoy playing with them. I like all the people that I'm playing with. Um, but yeah, I snapped because we have this elf in our party, and he like moves like 50 feet. And of course, I'm I my normal movement speed is 25 because I'm a little gnome. So we often send the elf ahead to scout for us and stuff as we're traveling in this world. And so we we came upon, we found like this undead army that was marching towards this city that we're headed to. And we find like basically these like zombie trails where they were sending like groups, you know, periodically every like six hours they were sending these uh, the skeleton army to seize this city so we come upon the siege and you know the they're at the walls and the there's like spells flung from the outside of the city trying to keep them away and we we stupidly kind of decided to go help try to draw off some of these hordes away from the wall you know kind of like guerrilla style attack we were going to kind of go in hit them distract and then kind of run away kind of thing right so we did that and it got to a point where eventually the the we were fighting and then like the main gates just opened uh, oh, also because there's this uh, Draco lick that is flying around and we don't, we're very scared of. Um, an undead dragon, for those of you unfamiliar. And then the the elf, so Zips runs to the wall as all the skeletons kind of go into the city. So he runs to the wall, scales the wall. And I'm like, well, shit, I want to do that too. And I go and I, you know, it takes me a while. I catch up and I go up the wall. And then the DM's like, okay, so what are you using to climb? And 
I'm like, okay, well, yeah, sure, I got this grappling hook, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I, I kind of like, it was late and I was like, snap. I was like, it's like, what do you, it was like, what do you mean? What, how do I climb? What, what's my climb? I got a fucking grappling hook. Can we make a fucking ability check and I'll give you a fucking roll? And those were like literally, <laughs> those were like my exact <laughs> words. And like, it was kind of awkward for the table. Um, <laughs> and uh, so. Uh, <laughs> the awkward laughter. There were, yeah, there were, ro- there were already basically ropes down the wall. <laughs> <laughs> there are already basically ropes down the wall, so I just climbed up the rope. But, like, my problem was that it felt like uh, this particular character, because he's, like, this elf monk, and monks are crazy, uh, that he was getting preferential treatment. Because, basically, the monk just skidded right up the wall. And I'm like, well, okay, he doesn't fucking fly, right? Like, that was my problem. Uh, of course, I didn't apologize for snapping, because, no, no, I'm not going to apologize. Would. But I don't know. The, it's fun. Campaign's going fun. D&D's great. I'd much rather be a DM, but being a player is okay. I very rarely see you apologize. You like stick. You stick by your like <laughs> bad decisions. Yeah, yeah, you got it. You got to own it, right? That's why it's so much fun when Leland and I have a fight. It lasts like a decade. So you know what though? I've backtracked so many times on our. We'll be having in the middle of an argument. And I'll be like, no, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, you know, you do have a point. I will literally you, say those yes, ideas back yes. to back. You backtrack, okay, so. but that's not an apology. You, <laughs> you backtrack all very the time. Very true. Very true. When I told you when you, you should die in a vat of acid, Moby, um, I just meant like light concentration acid. You know, maybe a little bit of vinegar. Yeah. Right, backtrack. Slow, a slow death. A slow death. Yeah. See? How kind. I still want you to live a long and fulfilling life. <laughs> just long in long constant agony for the next 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, I'm done. Done. That's it. Cool. Marty. Okay, rant over. All right. It's time for Marty's monologue. <laughs> <laughs> Listener's new favorite segment. Uh, actually, I don't have a monologue today. I'm just going to say. I know. I know. No, I just pre-ordered the new God of War and a PS4 Pro because my PS4 is on the fritz. So I need a new PS4. So I will have an update once I play that. But by the time this airs, the game will have been out for three months, so it'll be <laughs> irrelevant. Yeah. Some have been out for ten days. And you'll be mysteriously sick for the next six re- recording sections. Well, well I'm going to... Yes. So you're going to have this launch day? Yeah, All I right. should have it. I'm going to have to get it. Oh, well, I'll, it'll well. get delivered on the Friday, the launch day, but I probably won't be able to pick it up from the post office till Saturday because they never make it to my house. So I could get a jump on it. You could. Okay. We should do the same thing we did with God of War 2 where we tried to oh, we tried to stay goodness, up all night playing it. Goodness. And like ruined it for me. What what is the actual release date? I'm just curious. April 20th. April 20th. Okay. Yeah. It was getting really great reviews. I'm pretty stoked. I'm not look I'm not going to look at anything. I mean, I already know I'm going to love it. Okay, so I didn't really watch any of the trailers till yesterday. Yeah. I so I didn't know anything. Then I sat down and watched two of them and it looked really fun. It basically uh, the, what I'm getting from it is it's like yeah, it's different from the other God of Wars, but it's better. It's, still it's better for it because yeah. it's kind of moved on a little bit. Like okay. they've said what they need to say with the other ones, and it's right. almost like Kratos has matured. It's like you know, this is a mat- more mature Kratos who's moved is in on a different stage of his life, and it does. Uh, it it is a reboot in a way, but it is a direct sequel. Okay, so it is continuing the story. Okay, which is really cool because so I was all the other games are canon. Yes. Okay. Cool. Yep. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked for it. Cool, cool, cool. It'll be good. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, that's it, Moby. 
Well, I'm stoked. Uh, my banter is actually also about a game that's coming out. I think it comes out uh, the 28th of April. I'll is it Nino Kuni, uh, The Revenant Moon or whatever? The new, uh, the new one? Over My Dead Body. Oh. But uh, no. <laughs> um, this actually is probably one of the very few uh, major interests I had as a kid that I never told you guys or at least didn't tell you guys 10 times. You know you like the masturbate. Oh, that okay well banter done no i was really big into mech warrior as a kid the mech warrior games the first ever game with true 3d graphics that i ever saw on the pc was my friend's big brother playing mech warrior 2 and between the 3d graphics and like the awesome sound of like heat overload warning and enemy mech destroyed like this was a big deal back in the day and i remember watching it with an open mouth and just like just like what and um, I got really into Mech Warrior 2 Mercenaries. I played the shit out of that thing. And I still get sad and nostalgic because it won't run on like a good computer nowadays at all. And there's like certain cracks I've tried to make it work. And it's so frustrating because I can get it to work. And so like it boots, you can get into the screen where you like pick your mech and stuff. But it crashes whenever you launch the first mission. Oh, it's too bad. Oh, it's so, so annoying. But where I'm going with this, where I'm really excited is you guys also know I like strategy games on the PC and turn-based strategy games. Well, the original guy who made MechWarrior in 1980, he has the rights back. He got them back from like Microsoft in 2005. He founded a game company and he's making a turn-based squad strategy game called Battletech, which was the original name. And I've watched so many uh, videos on it and he's like... He's like everything. Like he's the CEO, he's the lead designer, and it looks really, really Does good. Does he do all the voices too? No, he doesn't. Like bleep, bloop, bleep. No, no, no. It's more just like crunching and gears going and stuff like that. Mine were um, What's really cool, there's a few really innovative things. So your sensor suite is progressive. So it's not just that you see an enemy or not. First, you see a blip and you have to figure out what to do with that. You get a little closer and it'll tell you the tonnage of the mech between zero and a hundred tons, but you still don't know exactly what that mech is. And that's a big deal because some are like assault and really good up close. Some are long range. Some are bigger cockpits. And only when you get up really close can you kind of see them. Um, it has a heat mechanic, which all mech warrior games have, where if you fire too many weapons at once, your heat can overload you and you automatically shut down. You can override it for a few extra shots, but if you get greedy, you'll blow up. Your, <laughs> your reactor will blow up. What else is really cool is this is also a mercenary-based game. Some are, some aren't. There's, uh, It's like it seems they alternate. Some you're just fighting for one of these clans. The others, you're a mercenary. This one is mercenary. What's really cool, though, is it's not like you just pick out of a contract. When you want a contract you negotiate everything you negotiate like if it's an assassination mission you can negotiate that okay i want to get this done quick and i'm going to take like zero salvage and how much are you going to pay me just to assassinate this one mech or if it's kind of an army-based mission you can negotiate to take more salvage which is really important like weapons body parts you can assemble franken mechs out of like different parts and what you're not just negotiating is salvage, but priority salvage. There's two levels of it. And what that means is that the computer at the end of the mission, the quote unquote financier who sent you on that mission also gets his pick from the salvage. 
So it's like really in depth, which mech warrior people like me love, where like now you're going to have to pick priority salvage or maybe argue for more rights that give you like uh, almost no money as bounty for completing the mission, but you get like all the salvage rights. So it it's honestly, there's so many mechs, but everyone who's a hardcore fan like me memorizes them. Like I know for a catapult that the first thing you want to do is just shoot its cockpit. Whereas for other mechs, you want to knock it down. And what's cool is this has a knockdown mechanic. So you can knock a mech down and then you get super precise targeting when you're standing over it. So you can blow out a head. You can bore out with like a cutting laser the center mass of it and try to save both arms and legs complete. So yeah, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to it. It's pre-ordered. And one last thing is I'm disappointed. They had a mech con in Vancouver this February, which I never heard of. I totally would have hauled ass out there. I don't care if I knew nobody. I've never met another big mech warrior fan of my whole life. So I'm stoked. Time to go to Japan, Moby. They love mecha. They love mecha. But they like change it and like mecha's like haughty anime college girls that turn into battleships and weird shit like that. That's the best kind of mecha. <laughs> okay. You get you get your like cake but, and you uh, get to eat it too. I thought mecha was the promised land. Yes. Oh, oh that's, a, that's a good one. That's thanks, thanks for chiming in right at the end there. Peace Joke. peace be upon you, Leland. <laughs> <laughs> um that's all I got for banner. Thanks. God. So, Sorry. are we on to the segment? Ah, uh, yes. Excited. Huzzah! It's time for movie musings. Okay, I want to start this off real quick. I feel like this movie is culturally appropriating from white people. Now, <laughs> <laughs> now I'll explain why. Why does my voice sound like Marty? Okay. <laughs> Superhero films are tip generally a white man's game. Right? So they're mostly white people in the superheroes. Uh huh. Okay. In this film, there are no white superheroes. Oh, so you're being no. as sarcastic as fuck. He's a white supervillain, Marty. Well, yes. he's a white villain. He's not so super. Of course I'm being sarcastic as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking about Black Panther, Casey. Yes, yes. Yeah, so I was about to say, maybe we should mention the movie first. But yeah, Black Panther. Well, what other film could I have been talking about? Uh, it is 2018 where, like, an awesome movie is every two weeks. Yeah, but the, an awesome movie oh, with, with no white superheroes. Hey, you're talking about Hancock. Oh, shit. Oh, sorry. no, that's... Uh, Wait, Charlie. Oh, sorry, that's oh, I Am that. Legend. Damn it. Oh, no. no. No, that's the vampire movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, but then isn't, like... Shaft. There's a oh, dog. isn't it Men in Black? Yeah, no, it's that one... Where he grew up on a, like, a, he... It could have been Shaft. Steel. Steel, <laughs> yeah, that's the one. No. I love Steel. Wasn't the, it the one where he lived with his auntie and un- uncle in Bel Air? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Prince something? Yeah, yeah, got in one little fight, some kids Prince of Persia, scared. that's the one. Oh, there we Moving go. with your auntie and uncle to Bel Air. Ah. So, so yeah. we're just going to go full spoilers, right? Yeah, we're not full spoilers, listener. We took our sweet time, time in getting while. to this, and uh, we're just, we're really ready to go here. So, Black Panther, guys. Initial impressions? Yeah, I'll throw it to Leland because he never gets to go first. And okay. I know your thoughts when it comes to films like this are complex. So, endear us with some complex, well-thought-out responses. Oh, geez. You should not have pretense my <laughs> summation of that um okay so 
overall opinions. I came out, uh, I came out of the theater, like I mentioned before, Moby, you and I have seen this very recently. Uh, whereas Marty, it's been a while. He saw a pretty near release, right? Yeah, I saw it opening weekend. Opening weekend. Four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I came out of it really liking uh, the character of Black Panther. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Bozeman, is his name? Chadwick Bozeman, yeah. yeah. Bozeman. I really enjoyed his performance. I really liked all of the secondary characters. I don't think there was a single, uh, you know, periphery a tertiary character that I did not like. Like, uh, his sister, she's a great character. She's just basically, like, Q. Right? Yeah, she like, is. It's yeah, super cool. Um, yeah, like, all uh, pretty much everyone in that movie is, like, badass, too. Like, everyone's like a warrior. Remember you and I were the only people laughing at the disc mouth tribe, though? Oh, it's yeah. Yeah, that was, like, oh, kind of shocking, right? You're like, all of a sudden, oh, you okay, see these okay. guys How with do huge, these guys even talk? huge lip discs, yeah. Yeah. It's like that whole scene with like the waterfall and like they're doing the fight scene. Yeah, and, and they're all like doing the shoulder shrug. Yeah, like, and yeah. Then you see all these different tribes people. Yeah. It's that pretty was cool. cool. There's a lot of w- little world building going on. That's what I really enjoyed about Wakanda. And just yes. basically you I mean, yeah, you we in the big you get the preamble in the beginning kind of uh, you know, oh the the meteor of uh vibraniums crash and these five warring tribes and then you still see though like even these thousands of years later just how distinct the tribes still are Mm -hmm. even though they've come under this peace and for the most part four of the five have accepted this rule right this line of of kings um this bloodline yeah it was it was it was a really it was a lot of uh, effective world building i think in a in a very short amount of time they didn't spend very much time on it, right? No, and it was mostly uh, shown. Right. Like you would, you, it, was, it wasn't really be- – it wasn't beating you over the head at all. Right. You just had to pick up on it as you watched. Exactly. Which I like. And I will get back to uh, – you know, I'll circle around back to that on some of my later thoughts of later events in the film. I think it ties in nicely to that as well. Uh, okay. Well, Marty, what was your general impression? I really liked it. Uh, it for me, it was – Right up there with the first entries in, like, the other Marvel films. Uh, my favorite ever for first entry being Guardians of the Galaxy 1. Uh, but this one was really, really good. I really liked uh, the character Black Panther. I thought as the, the movie went on, he evolved quite a bit, too. Yeah. Um, I really yeah. liked I really liked the villain Killmonger. He was actually pretty intimidating. And he had, like, good reasoning to be a villain. Uh, I really liked the secondary characters as well. Um, the I'm not going to be able to pronounce her name. Denai, Denai, Garai, or whatever. Uh, Michonne from uh, yeah. uh, Walking, Walking Dead. Dead yeah. yeah, she was really awesome in that film. Yeah, I liked her character. Uh, yeah, and I really liked the uh, tech of Wakanda. Yeah, I, I like that. It's cool like stuff. old school weaponry mixed with like futuristic tech. That's pretty neat. And uh, I thought Martin Freeman was pretty good as like uh, this like fish out of water character. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, it, it was a kind of an understated role, but he did a good job with it. Yeah. And yeah, and I've got some negatives too, but maybe I'll dive into those after. Yeah, and it sounds like we're we're here on some positives, so I've got a bunch um, listed down. And I do think Ryan Coogler, the director, his, his strength was definitely in that world building. So I completely concur. I actually really like the scenes where they went to kind of that nether world, especially like the, the celestial plane. I found it calming and kind of like, 
what I would hope a version of heaven might be like. That was um, cool because it was different from what we've seen in the Marvel Universe, too. It was a new thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, thought- I think it was very so – to interrupt, I think, uh, yeah, it's very akin to some of the uh, Doctor Strange stuff, you know, more kind of leaning towards a spiritual kind of – That's true. You know, otherworldly, and I think I think um, much more – much more so than Doctor Strange, obviously, but yeah, I really like those segments too. I mean, I particularly like the juxtaposition in uh, the where T'Challa goes as opposed yes. to where Killmonger goes. Yes. So I thought that was really that too. impactful too for Killmonger's character. Yes, yeah, I think that was a that singular scene was pretty much, in my opinion, one of the only scenes that really drove home exactly why. Killmonger is doing what he's doing, right? And and it gave you the most insight into his motivations, I felt. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that. I thought it asked uh, some or pointed out some pretty good questions or maybe even questions that they resolve within the film. You know, uh, Killmonger, his goal kind of seemed like, oh, you know, he's going to cause this revolution. And, you know, this is a message that we're giving to the real world is that this kind of revolution is needed. Um, But then they show that, like, no, he went completely too far and needed to be countered. And I thought it was kind of a very wise message, not just because I agree with it, but I see like, I see this theme where uh, people that fight back against something become so intense that they become what they hated and they don't even realize it. And right. I think that was Killmonger's arc. You see, like, just look at how Killmonger treats the Wakandans. Like, he's supposedly trying to help them and start this revolution from Wakanda outwards when he becomes king. Like, he's, he's terribly abusive to everybody. So he's treating the very people horribly that he came to defend, supposedly. But as you see with his character from the beginning, he's not a good person. He, he no. will, for him, the ends justify the means. Like he will, oh, do, he'll do whatever it takes. You I mean he sacrifices his girlfriend like without a second thought? Yeah, yeah. And man, was he fucking jacked? You talk about like ox, like triangle shaped. Yeah, he was in phenomenal shape for that. It was insane. But I mean, he's going from like this movie to like Rocky movies, so. You know, he's probably never stopping the lifting at this point. We talked about that on our car ride home because we, we drove together is that he was probably already like getting in shape for Creed or at least it helped yeah. that he had this big physical role. Yeah, his acting was uh, was really good. Um, I thought Manny was funny in the scenes where they actually go to his or. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's like, I really like that drive. I really like the Ape tribe. Yeah, the Ape tribe. Where he's I don't like, know what the tribe's name is. Very sarcastic. And he's like, you know. We're vegetarian. Ha, 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 ha. And like laughs for an awkwardly long time where it's not funny, but then you laugh because it's become funny. Um, yeah, I liked him. And Martin Freeman's character was good. Claw was good. And I, I thought, yeah, the, the casting overall was great. Yeah, I agree with that. I was uh, quite disappointed, actually, that they killed Claw off um, as seemingly quickly as they did. I guess it was, he made it through about halfway. He did, the yeah. Movie. Yeah. And yeah, I mean... That's certainly a way for Killmonger to get into Wakanda. But, okay, so I find it difficult to believe, though, that the instance in which he was able to take him out and then get to Wakanda was the very first chance that he had to bag him. 
like with all the interactions with Claw that he had before, right? You know, doing all yeah, this. Yeah, I never thought of that. Like, that's the first chance that he really had to take him out. I just think, like, oh, okay. Before this that, weird. wasn't he trying to get, like, Wakandan technology, though? Wasn't there, like, some sort of... I thought yeah, I the thought... whole beginning of the museum thing was just to get into Claw's good graces. Like, right. so, because what would, what's the, what purpose would Killmonger need for attracting uh, the Wakandans... Like that's what that's what he yeah. well, that's what Claw intended, right? Claw was like, yeah, they're they'll come for this, right? Right. So what what would what would kill like was that part of Killmonger's plan too? Like, why would he need the Wakandans to come after? I feel like I'm at a disadvantage here because I, yeah, I honestly I don't yeah, yeah. really remember like that, but I know what you're saying, and I feel like there was a reason for it, but I just can't put my finger on it now. Yeah, I, I really if there was, then I t- completely miss it, but it really doesn't feel like there is. And also, like, yeah, okay, so he's killed Claw, and how how does he have so much knowledge about Wakanda? Like, yeah. so much. Like, it seems like an excessive amount, like, way more than what would be in his father's journal. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I guess, though, his dad had interactions with Claw, right? So he probably would have had a lot of extensive notes on Claw, because Claw was... Original, like his his dad was like teaming up with Claw, right? Like in '92, and that's what got him in trouble with the Wakandans, right? Yeah. So Which, I guess just by meeting with Claw, he's g- gained more knowledge about Wakanda. Yeah, that could be it too. Maybe that's yeah. Okay, that could be it. That could totally be it. Okay, but I mean, like then also like he happens to bring Claw's body to the exact right person that like the best person for him to have brought. A dead claw to, right? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, but maybe that's the guy who always meets, uh, like, newcomers. Maybe. Maybe so that's, like, part of their tribe, right? Yeah. Just possibly. Yeah. That's yeah, true. That's, that's true. And, again, that's that's super nitpicky. But, yeah. like, that is that is entirely to further the plot of the movie, which I can totally, you know, ignore, right? Yeah. You can, you can like, accept it. Totally, right? Yeah, yeah. It's nothing major. Um, I just think, yeah, like... Uh, like I mentioned to Moby on the drive back, like I felt like the only scenes where Killmonger was uh, empathetic, where you could feel empathy for him, was in the, the scenes where he wasn't in it. Like, yeah, I yeah. felt the most empathy for Killmonger through T'Challa's reaction to what his father did to his uncle. Yeah, like, yeah. and what, and the empathy T'Challa felt, I totally like it. Really came through the screen. And then, like, you get to the very end when, yeah, like, when Killmonger finally gets gets the throne and you're like, oh, man, this guy's an asshole. <laughs> like, I, I'm not getting on board with anything he's going for, right? Like, he's a prick. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's not a sympathetic character at all in any of his scenes, really. Like, he's just this kind of brute and that's what he's turned into. He's very smart, Alecky, right? Like, he's like, like, he, he, he is always acting... To his royal blood, like he is a step above everybody, mm-hmm. even in the museum, right? In the very museum where you're like, oh, I wonder who this guy is. And you're like, you know, th- through the actions of the movie, you have no idea that he is a villain yet, right? And he's like, you know, like super smug and like ghetto. Like, I don't know. Like, it's weird. He's like an unsympathetic person in a sympathetic position. Like, you really, yeah. you, you know, he yeah. should be a more sympathetic character. But because of his just personality, which could have developed from his upbringing and what happened to him, to be fair. Sure. Well, of course. You know, he's 
just turned himself and, and honestly turned himself into like a killing a killer too. Yeah, obviously, he totally right? did. Yeah, yeah, you know. But it's cool. I really liked how he basically had been training his whole life for that fight, and he yeah. won, yeah. which was awesome. It was cool that he won. That was kind of like unexpected. I thought something else would happen. I didn't think the Black Panther would die, obviously. But as soon as he won, and it, um, I actually thought the crowd's reaction was great. Like some of them left, some of them were like, "No, we have to accept this. Yeah, this is the way." Oh yeah, it was super cool. That like, oh crap! Right away, Queen Princess, get out of there. I I love that scene with yeah. the general. You're meaning right? Like where she's like, where she takes them and they bolt. Yeah. Well, and but I like the scene too where. Like the princess is trying to get the general, Lady General. Yeah, that's on not the side. scene I was talking about. Okay, I'm but. talking about that one. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Where she yes, yeah. I also know what you're talking about. Okay. But we were just talking about them all in the waterfall in the fight. Yeah, and she's oh, like, okay, how did okay. you jump to an entirely different scene? Sorry, because I'm trying to jump to, to another scene. I'm not I know that. Well, no, I'm not. You're not. Well. You're doing very poor at this podcasting job. Oh fuck you! Man. <laughs> that's and no. Fight. But I also really like that scene where okay. she's just like, no, she's loyal to the throne. Yes. Yes. And uh, I, I like that sense of honor, that sense of duty, right? Totally. That's, that is, I, I think that's like the epitome of like Wakandan values. They're loyal to Wakanda, right? Right. They'll do anything for Wakanda. Um, yeah, if, if Wakanda, if it's the Wakandan way, then that's that's the way it goes. And then that it also even lends into at the very end when uh t'challa makes his return she's like hey contest is still on you didn't win you didn't win by and you didn't submit yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so i thought that was cool too yeah that's a really good scene so setting this podcast up moby came to me and said oh be prepared to you know have a two-on-one battle against you marty because he knew i liked the movie i don't really see where you guys hate- hated it so much more than me i feel like oh no it's on not the, the movie in general i think killmonger is just a, a really shitty villain yes like killmonger yes, was that's poorly he was like poorly killmonger. written the oh. character himself is poorly written um he had the I, stupidest like idea but we'll talk yeah about that i, I don't understand his, oh i see his okay and his end thing right he just wanted weapons to go to a bunch of people Oppressed for chaos people all over the world give advanced weaponry he has no control right because he has no right control. because i I don't know if he explicitly said it, but I thought he did in the movie was like the idea was then to liberate the oppressed and then like under Wakandan rule. That's what I got out of his plan. Maybe that wasn't. I didn't even get it that far. I kind of thought he was more like just going for anarchy. Like overthrow the uh, man, basically. Yeah, then I, okay. Which I I don't agree with, but that's what I got from his character. Right, okay. I just totally, for some reason, I should have sworn he said like, he would like rule like lead the everybody i think he just saw wakanda as an arsenal yeah that's simple and that's what he was doing shipping out weapons at the end okay okay that's my read okay yeah then that is a dumb plan but then that doesn't make it doesn't like that is not dumb plan i'd say that's a seemingly ineffective plan but that doesn't mean that in my eyes and that makes it less like ridiculous because here i was thinking like he wants to rise up and then like have like all these people under him like that's that's what i had in my head so i don't think not... he cared about wakanda, wakanda at all i think no, he, I mean, he hated wakanda so he didn't even care about ruling them no I, I don't mean about ruling wakanda okay. i mean about ruling oh, the oppressed the, the people that he's armed now that he's gonna lead this revolution yeah. like how the hell is he gonna do that yeah no i i feel a little bit differently i liked him as a character i can understand what you're saying but i, I just i like he portrayed the character really well. I, th- I thought he was—he's such a good actor that it, like I was sucked into his character. 
And I could understand why you think he, like, his motivations weren't really that interesting. Or- no, 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 no. I, 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 I very much like his motivations. I yeah. very much like that um, without even seeing it on screen that just from, from, okay, so from the scene where he drinks the juice to get the panther powers, right? And then he has this spirit quest or whatever. And he goes, instead of going to this nice, beautiful purple haze plane with all the other panthers and past kings, he goes right back to the apartment where, where, where to, to cock, to, what's his, what's his dad's name? Can't remember. Yeah, I don't know. Where, where the former, uh, king of Wakanda kills his brother, right? Right. Who is Killmonger's father. I love that it went, he went back there. We saw him as the child. We saw him. You know what he what he did as a child found his his father's secret writings and and you know delved into it and I that like I said that scene right there sold his motivations for me and I really love that again without having without even seeing it you just seeing the way Killmonger is you you know that oh okay through the life he's had those original intentions that his father wanted to pass on to him which he successfully passed on to him, have become so warped and so overblown and so murdery that I really like that. I, I liked it. Well, I just, he never had anyone to guide him. That exactly. Thing, right? yeah. yeah. I really liked that. And basically it was his vision, right, of or his interpretation of his father's vision and 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 the this his father's like utopic idea of of this liberation and the world that he wanted to make for his kid. I really liked that un that just character progression that you just glean. And I thought it was very successfully portrayed mm-hmm. really just from that one scene. That scene was way more powerful than it appears at, at first glance, I think. I think so. But I just, I just felt like a lot of his dial. I don't I don't know. I don't know why I didn't really feel him. I just huh. like, wow. Well, he's just, he's a brute force of nature. I think he's supposed to be very unlikable, right? Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And if I heard that Ryan Coogler said, yeah, I tried to make an unsympathetic, unlikable villain, I think I'd be more on board for him. Um, I wonder if the intent was to to brew that conflict within oneself, right? Like, I, because I am quite conflicted about his character. Like, again, like, I don't like what he's become, but I like what he could and do and should stand for i don't know i feel like if if, that was the intent then it was very well done if he had been given a chance to even go you know 10 degrees the other way you know then he might have been like this anti-hero but it's right you know and i can see that in him and i i just i did like his character i just i feel differently you know you know what i think really sealed for me too though on the side of not enjoying his character was really his last his dying words that were literally like throw me to the ocean like my ancestors jumping off the boat because they knew death was better than a life of servitude or something along yeah it was it was along those lines and while that sentiment i don't know how to feel about that sentiment but like i didn't think the delivery was i didn't enjoy the delivery i don't know what it was i was just like okay that's like oh wow it's like full blown i was like okay well this huh. is too much for me. I just I, thought like that, la- like I think it literally was that last little bit. Yeah, like, like I've had it. I liked I'm it. Done. I, I thought, thought it was. I really. Liked I thought it. it was over the top. I thought it was hammy. I, I don't know. I, I agree with Leland. Like I, it. I thought it was 
I, images of Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi entered my mind. The sunset being like held there with some sort of last honor yeah. implied by so Black I think Panther. maybe why I had the problem with, with it was because that I don't mind him seeing the Wakanda in the sunset. I mean, you have that tie in with, you know, what his father wanted to show him. And like, this was like the last chance for in any way for the audience to see some type of redemption, you know, redeemable qualities or, or a glimpse into what, what could have been the future for the, for him. And then like that, that last line just totally brushed it away for me. Any of those feelings I was having, I'm like, okay, you know what? Fuck this guy. But his, his redeemable quality to himself isn't at the cost of, uh, you know, what Black Panther wants for him. He doesn't care. He, you know, he, he wants what he wants out of this world. I mean, and, I don't give a shit what his redeemable qualities to himself are. Yeah. This is my view as an audience. But this is his quest. He, he's not conforming and, you know, apologizing. No, and I don't, I don't expect him to apologize. What I'm saying is in that scene, that scene, I would have loved that scene had he just keeled over. Yeah. Mm. Like, was that last line really that necessary? After all, Everything we've seen him do this entire movie was that that last little cherry on the cake, so to speak. I'd have to see it again, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It it really stuck to me. Um, I just, I, of course, yeah. I mean, of course, he's not going to let Panther heal him. I totally, I was like, no, he's, he's, he's come to the journey. He tried to do what he could do, and there's nothing left for him to do except die. I totally understand that. But like, just that last little thing, like, I definitely did not expect him to be like, Oh, you were right all along, T'Challa. My cousin, my blood. <laughs> yes. Or how, what is he? Yeah, cousin. Yeah, I guess cousin. Um, cousin yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think that that soured the character yeah. for me. So that's that. That's your main gripe with the film is Killmonger, which is oh, yes. which is interesting because yes. that's like most people's one of their highlights of the film is really? Killmonger. Yeah, yeah, I read that. People are I, stupid. I don't yeah. see it because I I really like Killmonger. In fact, I like I, he was one of my favorite parts of the film. Let's get on to a part that I know we all will agree was disappointing. Oh. Which, well, no, I know what you're thinking. And it what you're thinking leads off of this. But uh, one of the things Marty said coming out of the film was I really, really liked it. But there's some shitty CGI. And there is, I would say at best, the CGI was incredibly inconsistent. But some of it looked like early 2000s. Some stuff. of it looked like... Uh spider-man like one territory yes. like yeah. it was like <laughs> yep. very jolty like completely uncanny valley sort of yeah um, i really didn't stuff. i don't know what happened with that i don't know if maybe ryan coogler just doesn't have that experience directing like with those that kind of film yeah. maybe maybe yeah well i mean that's one thing and i i don't want to open a can of worms here that's going to bring up later I am not a fan of how Ryan Coogler shot the action. I need to mm. see it on a small screen, but it was too jittery, too fast, too dark for most. Yeah, of the like time. the first, the scene first, the first was really bad. The first bunch of action was like yeah. that. I thought the final fight between Panther and Killmonger was a little better. I thought the, but the absolute the last the part of the fight, where they're uh, where you know they're getting pushed out of that uh, tunnel or whatever. Yeah, but when they're falling. It's oh, terrible. that was oh, yeah, terrible. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's. But terrible. I mean, specific. So for that last fight, I, I specifically mean the in close camera, like like the whole, like all the hand to hand in the in the casino where they're where the trades going down, and we see first run into Martin Freeman's character, right? Yeah. That was like 
is literally the camera's like six inches yes. away from the people like throwing fists at each other. Like, holy yeah, fuck. Yeah, that was pretty good. I can't see anything. No, 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 no. That's bad. bad. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, I, I just meant it. like the, uh, the, like, I really liked, um, God, whatever, his, his like, guards character. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That, that's the well, like, I a lot of, like, uh, yeah, you know what? Come to think of it, I think most of it was a lot of, uh, Bosman's fights. Like all, yeah. a lot of his hand to hand stuff, like all the stuff with uh, with the general was cool. Yeah, but again, the weapon she's using lends to a wider and it does. back camera yeah. angle. Right? No, I like, totally, I totally see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was something just really off about the action, and it's like some of it was fine, but it was really inconsistent. Yeah. And there was no action scenes other than some of that main big battle where that was kind of interesting. Yeah, because yeah. and then it was the the rhinos. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I say it leads off. Oh, the yeah. fucking rhino. Oh, Leland was so laughing hard. so hard in the theater. He was Leland laughing. Oh, man, because, of course, they're rucking rhino farmers. Of course. He's going to whistle and one's going to come fully armored. That's why I like that they're fully armored rhinos. <laughs> yeah. And they got saddles on them. Yeah, of course. Oh, man. But they were they were some of the bad CGI for me, too, though. And, I again, I found it jarring. There I was smiled. some... Okay, so... <laughs> up until that point, the, all the tech, everything you see in that movie, you're like, I believe this. And then they got fucking fighting rhinos. Yeah. And then you're like, does no. that not undermine a lot of this movie to you guys? Like the ridiculousness of it? Well, the beginning was so down to earth as much as it I could know. be. It was like a spy film. And I thought when I read that in reviews, I'm like, there's no way they can turn Black Panther into a spy film. Well, they did really good. You know, because they had the cue and the tech and the yeah the stuff like that. But any semblance of down to earth got thrown out the window when rhinos came. Yeah, um, I uh, thought that's awesome. They blow open Wakanda, and like now we see like what they're really about. They're about technologically advanced rhinos, <laughs> and that's what's going to kill Thanos. Oh man, it sounds so good on paper. Oh man. And uh, on the screen. So, uh, getting, I did say I was going to come full circle, and now speaking of the rhinos, like that scene, so full, full circle on the distinct tribes, I really, because of the distinct tribes, and because in those scenes you only see, like, the, the rhino tribe, that it really was, like, the instant switch, you know, between allegiances. Like, basically, that whole tribe, because of that one dude, like, Full on, boom, you brought us claw, we're up with you there, Killmonger. And at first I was like, man, that, like, we, they were like best, but they were so chummy with T'Challa, and he's like going out with the general. Like, they're like, I don't know if they're husband or wife, or they're just banging. I don't know what it is. I think that's his wife. Okay. Then that's even weirder. Like, like, man, that switch seems so fast. Like, his, and, and I think it was because that character, you know, he's a, he's a secondary character. He doesn't get that much screen time. We only get through a bit of dialogue just how deep-seated his his the revenge he wants against Claw, right, for his parents, for Claw killing his parents. Mm-hmm. That we we only got the briefest glimpse of it. So it so his his instant turn and his instant allegiance change felt a little strong-handed, you know, like um but again, it was just like pretty much at the end fight. It wasn't an all-out Wakandan civil war. It was like this singular tribe backing Killmonger, and that was really all he had on his side. I mean, of, of course, of course, to him, aside from him winning the 
the the battle contest and actually having a royal blood, you know, really like his only real supporters come from the this head of this tribe, and then of course it trickles down to the rest of it. So I, I think that that distinction, I, I it really helped, you know, solidify like okay, this this turn is uh, believable, you know, they're they're following their king, right? And then um, and then of course you come right back to uh, the general and. All the other royal guards, I think, are they must be royal guards, right? Their whole contingent's like, you know what? The, this is not our king. Black T'Challa is still our king. He's not dead. So that turn, and even though the battle seems so abrupt and came on so abruptly, like it really is believable. I think. I don't think. I definitely don't think it's a negative hmm. for the movie. I yeah. don't know if you guys felt the same. Yeah, I mean, I li- I liked how it seemed. I, I liked how the uh, uh, guards, you know, fought in one direction and then the other tribe fought in the other. It, I like the non-linearity. I go back to the thing that I, I mentioned that was that awkward leap about um, the princess and the mother trying to get the general on their side. Yeah. And she, you know, says, no, I'm I'm a loyal to Wakanda. In most movies, it's like a parting of the Red Sea onto two sides. It's like all the good characters are sneaky, no matter what their position to try to usurp the bad characters. There's no middle ground. There's no like loyalty to pre-established um, procedures and stuff like that. Um, and traditions. And I felt that this movie did a good job balancing that where most movies fail. It would be very stereotypical if the general's like, yes, Oh, Killmonger is evil. I will immediately join you. And so will all my girls. Right. Well, no, you have thousands of years of tradition that say if in this challenge the king loses, there is a new king. Right. Like realistically, most tribes, I don't think, would just chuck that tradition out the window. Absolutely. So that's my point. I agree. That was a good point. Well said. I do want to make a point about um, Killmonger just because I didn't get a chance to slip this in. My argument with his uh, plan is that revenge alone would have been enough. If his plan was to just kill the king and take over, or if he didn't even care about the throne and he just wanted to kill the king or, or even just screw up Wakanda, like destroy their technology instead of give it away, all of those things I would have been really happy with. It was the fact that it's equipping random oppressed people all over the world. With these gigantic weapons where it could totally backfire, where the oppressed become the oppressors um, that I didn't. I think he would have been fine with that. So, you really do? Oh, yeah. I think he would have been fine with the oppressed becoming the oppressors. Like, if anything, that is exactly what he did. But it could bite him in the ass is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. But I I don't think his life was important to him at all. Okay. No, and I think that's supposed to be the uh, inherent flaw with his character, right? Like, that... That is, that, that is what makes him the villain, obviously, for one thing, and also what inevitably makes him fail, mm-hmm. right? That's his, his one, the, the crack in the foundation that brings the whole building crumbling down, right? Right. So, to that end, uh, man, maybe I'm wondering if this character was more well-crafted than I thought. <laughs> I don't know, man. This isn't the first time this has happened. I don't know, man. Here I am flip-flopping again. Look at what... I... I'm a marketing guy. So to... Oh, are you? Really? I'll admit there was some attempt at creating a buzz on our non... 
<laughs> listened to or watched uh, Facebook, Facebook page, page where I put like Black Panther in the United States flag facing off at the Soviet Union. That was a little bit of, of an exaggeration, which I'm guilty of on rare occasions. Well, you know what? If you had just had a revenge plot, that would have been fine. If all you wanted was revenge, yes. you just wanted to come and usurp Marty's uh, monologue throne. Oh, that that's worked. where this is going. That would have worked. Okay, okay. But we don't know your logic. We don't know where you're going with no. this. You've killmongered yourself into a corner. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, from my perspective, that's all my points. But if you guys have any left. Uh, okay, I think I wanted to quickly touch on um, this character. I mean, technically, this isn't this character's first outing. Um, I know a lot of people like akin it to the rollout that Wonder Woman had. I think, though, making that comparison, that Black Panther had a much uh, more involved role and was much better portrayed in Captain America Civil War than Wonder Woman was in oh, Batman yeah. vs. Superman. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah, right? Like Wonder Woman was just a theme song. Right. Yeah. She yeah, was a the- she theme really song was. and a set piece. And a face. Right? She was like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to kick your butt. And, man, this really was a great first film for this character yeah, yeah. Like it really was it just I'll, I'll agree with you that i think um as far as first outings guardians volume one tops this they're just so very different movies it's difficult to really compare them side by side but, i had a hard time but i but really think yeah this is definitely better than captain america first avenger obviously better yeah. than thor yes and i i'm gonna say better than iron man one yeah, mm-hmm. and better than Doctor Strange, and better. Oh than, yeah, and We're better than Ant Man. Dumb Doctor. Strange. Oh yeah, and Ant Man. Yes, Ant Man was enjoyable, but really, I know we we've discussed Doctor Strange a little bit, but like it wasn't dumb. You just don't like Doctor Strange. You don't. Uh, I didn't like Benedict. I think Benedict. that's the problem. That that, is that the was problem. the big discussion we <laughs> had. Yeah, it is the problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he it's is like, the problem. Yeah, I think he's just overrated. I think he's yes, he's talented, but man, why does everyone go fucking bananas for him? I don't know, but I liked him as Doctor Strange. I thought he was a phenomenal casting for Doctor Strange. Yes, he was very well cast for Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange was very enjoyable. I do like all the magic and mysticism stuff. And I basically like that it he's necessary within cinematic MCU. Uh, I guess that is a redundant statement, cinematic MCU. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, great. But... Black Panther was way better than Doctor Strange. I think you have, like, a mind virus. Because, like, suddenly you get this idea of something you hate about something. And suddenly it ruins, like, every aspect of it for you. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I don't like Benedict <laughs> Cumberbatch. This movie is stupid. They're- no, I just make hyperbolic statements before really thinking about what I say. That, yo, you definitely do that. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the only one. Then sometimes you do it in jest and then you convince yourself that it's real. That is actually real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because sometimes I have really good ideas. And I just need to say them aloud, and then I realize how good of an idea it is. And I don't need confirmation from you schmucks uh, about my good ideas. <laughs> of course not. Right. Oh, you very rarely ask for people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point, Marty. And, okay, quickly, quickly, I had one more thing um, about Wakanda itself, about how protectionist it was. You know, how, like, Moby, again, you and I had a, had a brief dis- uh, discussion on. Um, how very uh, isolationistic yeah. Wakanda was. Yeah. like, And I kind of akined it to um, like the U.S. before entering World War II, right? That yeah. was very... Yeah. But then you, of yes. course, had the, the great point of that... Thank you, in advance. Right, that <laughs> they're... Yes, they 
they isolate themselves from the rest of the world, but they the rest of the world isn't isolated from them. Right. Right. And I think that that's interesting in thinking about the just the way Wakanda has been ruled, right? And basically the the country think of the of the kings and that led to the creation of Killmonger, right? Like that very I- idealism of of keeping their their shit, keep it secret, keep it safe, <laughs> right? Like that in, almost led to the destruction of Wakanda, right? Right, right. And I thought that was that was uh, very interesting, and I'm I'm super excited to see exactly what this now public Wakanda what effect it has on the greater MCU. Well, clearly it has something because they're big time players in the Avengers trailers. Oh, oh definitely. Yes, yes. I mentioned that to right Leland. I was like, yeah. yeah, they're everywhere in those trailers. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if they're they're now their public knowledge now is like it attracts Thanos to them, right? Well, they created the Thanos gun that will kill Thanos. Ah, uh, that's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Okay, that's all I got. Cool. All right, are we gonna rate this sucker? Yeah. All right. All right. I guess I'll go first. Uh, I give if it. You give it. If you give it a nine, I'm gonna be real mad. Fifteen superheroes out of ten. <laughs> Wow. You know, you know what? I am going to give it an 8.5 though. 8.5 out of 10. I really liked it. <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to give it Ah, uh, you guys are going to hate me. I I probably give it a 7.5. It if I were to give it a letter grade that'd be a lot easier for me. I give it a solid B. Not a B minus, not a B plus. Oh, we don't do letter grades here know, on the exactly. T-Hot podcast. Hey, but we do arbitrary numbers out of 10. And that I, I like usually to, do arbitrary I, shit referencing yes, the film. Do. I actually gave it a star or like a rating, a correct rating of 7.5 out of 10. You so did. that that is a big moment for me. This is a big yes, step for usually me. Usually you have some weird rating. Like 7.5 claws well, out of 10. I think I am going to give this a... Ooh, I want to give it a 7, but I'm really leaning towards 7.5. I'm trying to think if I like this more than Spider-Man Join Homecoming. Me, and together we shall rule the podcast Homecoming seven as half, Leland right? in movie. <laughs> well, seven think about five. it is the first entry in a film. I know, and it was so good. I really like T'Challa. I think you guys just like rate harder than I do. Like, Maybe. I, All right, I'm going to go seven and a half. I like seven and a half. All right. All right. I thought it was a really good movie. Definitely, if you haven't seen it, go see it. Listen. Yes. See, like, to me, when I think seven and a half, I think of, like, C plus and I, to me a C plus I'm like I, I'm not going to run out to theaters to see it. That's why I give it a, a B plus. To me, I think a uh, six and a half and lower is something you don't go see in theaters. Mm. I guess I just yeah. And anything below five is trash. So I guess I just rate the same as you, but I think of things as, as one scale higher. So like we probably feel similar, but like to me it's like an eight point five, not a seven point five. Right. Well, but. Comparatively, we're at the same length. Yes, of likeness. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's probably what something. It is. Like Honestly, that. these are just. This is why I don't like rating shit. These are just dumb, arbitrary numbers. I like. I'll rank stuff. Yeah, I I much enjoy. I think it's kind of fun stuff. though. I know it is. I but I really I would rather rank stuff. We should almost like just write down our numbers first and then hold them up. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great medium for rating. <laughs> Right. All right. Well, okay, great. great. Awesome. Good job, guys. Let's move into crazy about cardboard. This is our Charter Stone Experience part 
Dose. Charting Chatterstone. Charting Chatterstone. <laughs> yes, sir. So uh, before recording, we just played game five and game six. So we are officially halfway through. And game six went by in like 25 minutes. Holy hell, it was game six yes. fast. So we're going to break, unlike Black Panther, we'll break this one up into some non-spoilery stuff. And then we'll finish with full-on spoilers so we can discuss stuff that we've unlocked that we enjoyed, that kind of stuff. Because mm-hmm. I got a lot to say about some of that stuff we've and, yeah. the implica- and the gameplay implications of some of that stuff, I really would like to discuss. So. Right, right. But let's go over some non-spoiler stuff. First, did we make, did, sorry, did Leland make any more mistakes? He did. Oh, yes. Well, I did. Okay, so mostly little things, uh, mainly like where the player that, or player or players that achieve the guide post, they automatically get one glory for doing that. And for listener, I'm not sure if game two, do they have guideposts? I don't know if we discussed that in the last episode, but guideposts is basically like a mini achievement you get per game. You get a new one per game. It might add a, a distinct rule for that specific game, which I think is pretty cool too. Um, what else did I forget? Um, oh, another thing. Until game four, we missed populating the inactive charters. So through your, I think they're called development cards, through your, the, the, the cards in the market, basically one building per inactive charter, if able, you randomly, you draw through the deck until you get a building and then it gets built, boom, into the inactive charter. And basically you do that until you've built one in all inactive charters or there are no unbuilt building cards in, in the development deck. So we only started doing that in game four. So really that was only uh, maybe one game, I think, that we didn't do it. I think it was just the one. I don't think we had the rules for it in game two. No, we missed I'm not just sure. one. Yeah, so that not that big of a deal. Even when we did it in game four, there were only two buildings to build in that deck. And one game, there wasn't any. I don't think. Um, we couldn't build any one. You're right. We game. didn't do it for game yeah. five. There was nothing in there for game five. But funny enough, in game six, there was like an extra four buildings. Yeah. yeah. Well, we did open a lot of uh, charts. Game like a five lot of was huge. That was there. a huge game. Yeah. In many respects. So I'm pretty sure that is... Uh, that's all I missed. But you know what's funny? Apparently. So uh, Christy Wayland over at Peace uh, Love and Games. She has a YouTube channel. Definitely go check her out. Apparently, she so she's. I think she just finished actually playing through their charter zone with her family, and in their family, they have uh, every time they affix something to the board, they stop, they double check, say wait, or is anybody pulling a Leland? <laughs> check. <laughs> so uh, oh, that's yeah, good. that's every. That's good. That's every everyone's dream, right? To become a. <laughs> Become an error, an error check. I've always wanted to pull on Leland. Oh, oh. any time, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so I listened back to our last segment, our last Charterson segment, and uh, pulled some some quotes from you guys and some of your general feelings. I just thought maybe we'd go over them and see if you still felt the same way. So, Moby, mm-hmm. uh, right away, even after game two, you said that you really felt like you were colonizing stuff that you were really building this village. Right. Building from the ground up is what you how you put it. Right. Does it still feel that way? Um it it does, but it, it feels almost like it's changed from this rustic colony like, yeah, I built this new building and stuff like that, to now it's being honed into my center of power. <laughs> and yeah. 
part of that, what I want to see may fall into spoilers, so I'll, I'll discuss it later. Okay. But I basically feel now that, yeah, my colony is established, but I'm using it to further my personal game every game. Okay. And now as as in – now is that more centered in, in the, within the confines of a single game or do you feel like any of those goals you are moving, you are actually moving forward for the entire campaign? I to put it as precisely as I can at first I just felt it was fun like I I was building a miniature little city that's yeah. it but now I feel like it's feeding victory points to me specifically that are helping me win matches or be competitive in games and thus will then help me be more competitive okay. over the campaign interesting because hey, if I'm racking and stacking glory that's going to help yeah win or lose now Interestingly enough, so you said that one of your strategies that you were trying to go for was you that you were going resource generation heavy. Yeah. That you were just going to ramp up your resource capacity. Right. In the hopes that late campaign, you would be able to turn that around into victories. Right. Now, would you say, I think you have pretty successfully done that. Yes. And one thing I'm finding is because I did that route, I am almost never wanting for resources. Just yeah, how I've got I've things going. That. I am just pouring in with resources. And so that helps me in a number of ways. So that card um, where you can score the uh, the the points at the – so what are, what are the victory cards in this game? Like you get three and then there's agendas. The, the objectives. Objectives. Yeah. The objective for six, one of six different types of resources is always coming up. I'm always scoring that right away moving on. And right. if I was smart, you've noticed the last few games I'm using the cloud port a lot more yes, because I can just are. dump those resources. You there. absolutely can. Yeah. And so now I'm starting to rack and stack victory points. Yeah. I wish I thought of this, you know, four games ago. Right. But right. Because up until game four, you hadn't won a single game. Game I five, had. you rocked. Like, game five, you scored I rocked. seventy points in game five. Game six, One. yes, yes, I rocked that game. Even I'll admit it. Not that it's that hard for me to admit. I'm cocky. <laughs> no, um, game six, I had a failed strategy that I do think would have worked had I had two or three more turns. Uh, I would have scored my secret objective. Yeah, the very next turn. Oh, don't, yeah, okay. And I also was able to then score the objective that we had out, which you had, you could only score if you had done three other Ah, uh, yes. That so was I would have double scored back to back. Right. Ten points. Yeah. And then I had a bunch of shit to dump in the cloud port after that. I would have been rolling victory yeah, points every yeah, yeah. turn until right. then. You're right. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think really your long-term strategy is really coming to fruition. I think it is. I, I wonder if it will be enough to really help Maintain. me. I think it will help me maintain competitiveness, yeah. but we still have six games to go. That's true. So. And now, Marty, on the flip side, you came out incredibly strong. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, you yeah. had like a two or three game win streak. Yeah. So, what happened with me is in the, a couple of those games where I was doing really well, my uh, persona was really beneficial to me. Yeah. You know, so one game where I was getting BP because of something I was doing with him every turn practically i was getting i probably got about 15, 16 or 18 bp just off those right those yes movements, right, right which is a lot and also in the last couple of games i've been building a lot rather yeah. than scoring uh so like I'm, I'm probably scoring 
Well, you still get five points. You do, but it costs a lot more, a lot more time to to do that. But you know what? Actually, you have been opening quite a few crates. Yes. You don't get points for the crates. Or do you? You do. You get five. Oh. But still, it's it's really you get five, but then it costs you four dollars and two uh, influence, influence yeah, right? Yeah, right? That's right? So yeah. it's and it takes a long time sometimes. Money to, is difficult to come by in this game. You know, and what yeah. what also killed yeah. me was uh, that you guys were kind of acquiring assistants and guests and that sort of thing. Oh yeah, I didn't never did that. I've been holding on and building. So like right. my, those cards I've been holding on to were the building cards. Right. So up until recently, and I also I didn't have uh, any. Uh, extra capacity for a while too yeah, because I you won winning. Games. exactly. so now I have some capacity and now I've also uh, filled in some of the honor segments right so I start with a reputation I start with a, uh, a minion the other piece yeah, yeah. so a worker or whatever slave yeah. Uh, so <laughs> so yeah that's helping me I think in the next couple of games I'm going to see a bit of a turnaround again now yeah you think you're going to get an upswing again a little bit uh, but yeah I think Part, I think it's my turn to have the upswing. Uh, part of my issue, though, is that a lot of my buildings, I'm hoping they really pay off in the endgame scoring. Endgame campaign, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, Because totally. I have, by far, the highest level buildings. Yeah, I have. I only have three buildings in my charter. I don't remember the last time I built a building. It's been forever. It has been forever. And now, I, I, note that, because I want to come back to that for a spoiler talk when we have to talk about some of the newer mechanics and stuff. Sure. So I had said that even right away at game two, like I that I was not entirely sold on the legacy thing, and I'm I'm try, I was trying to I was thinking of myself, and I really I don't know if I fully like am on board with it, but man, game five was super exciting. Oh yeah, we unlocked so much stuff. Stuff was just happening left and right. We opened so many crates. It was like, just borderline overwhelming. Like, yeah, just yeah about, I, I just agree with that. I, I agree. Absolutely. That now now it's so fine. After game shit. six, I get it again. Oh, yeah. But in yeah, game yeah. five, I was like, oh, no, another rule. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really liking it. I mean, you you even said, Marty, like, that you get a, you get a lot of play out of this. Yeah, actually, yeah, uh, it's do. a lot more than I expected. Yeah. And as we finished the game six, I was like, oh, I wish we were playing game seven. I wanted to play yeah. another one because I was so, excited about it. Now, okay, so that brings me a great segue. So up until today, all of our plays have only been singular plays with a lot of gap. Like the last time uh, when we did our part two, that was all the way back in episode 15 in progressive podcasting. Right. That was quite a while ago, right? So we're taking our time. And now uh, does it... Do you think, uh, let's start with Marty, in your opinion, does that, is that hurting the game? Is our extended periods amount of time between gameplays hurting the game? Especially now, tonight we play two back-to-back games. Now, if I, you try to compare I, yeah. those, do you think it's, it's hurting the game? Do I you think it's enhancing it? I don't think it hurts the game, but it certainly makes it a little difficult to jump in right away because you start playing and then it takes a sec to get into the rhythm of, okay, what is what do I want to do this round? What are my goals? How am I going to achieve victory? Yeah. Especially now where there is a lot more going on yep. and there are a lot of – it almost feels like every round – is so important, especially like halfway through the the round because or the game because you're suddenly the game could end and you had a, something set up that might win get you ten points in six turns, 
Um, but and you're thinking that far ahead, but then the game's over in four. Right. And that happened to me last game where suddenly you just ended it. Yep. And I ha- I was about to uh, right. get just, about five points. Yeah, that that ten and six is just not efficient enough sometimes, right? Yeah, and I'm almost thinking like, am I playing too far of a game, too long of a game? Because I yeah. see you guys doing this cloud port and making uh, some killer bank. Cloud port is awesome. You know, and I, I don't know. Maybe I need to step away from that reputation track for a while. Maybe, but it has consistently been scoring you 10 points every yeah, single time. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't remember this, uh, the last game that someone beat you on that. No, I've game. always won or tied. And, you know, up until game five and six, I've just been completely ignoring it. I've been like, okay, I'm going to get one influence on that track, so I score that third amount of, of points, right? So I can get that four points for having the third most on that. Yeah. And it just so happened, like, I don't know, game five and game six, I'm like, you know what, I, I, I'm... I have the capability. I'm competing here. How am I competing in this? Like, I'll just boom, boom, boom. And and I think game five, you and I both tied for first. So we both scored the 10 points on, on the rep track, giving Moby the seven, right? Yeah. But in game six, Moby, you didn't get a single one on there. So you just, you got no points from that. That was purposeful. That was sure. very purposeful. But it did bite me in the end because I didn't have the time put my plans into ah i see because because it was it would have been quite easy for you to get that one on there right yes it would have been compared to your plans possibly but also man influence is getting tight like that game six i if i had one more influence i would have been able to score one more objective and i would have been able to get one more glory star on my box right i would have pushed me right above uh 50 i think right i think i got 47 so five more points i would have got one more star right so, what do you guys, do you want to move into um, spoilers? spoilers stuff? Yes, because my comment in response to you would be a spoiler. Perfect. Right now, okay. So. Here on listener, spoilers. Uh, if you don't want, if you don't want to have anything ruined for you, we're going to be discussing about stuff we've unlocked. Um, again, you may be on game six as well, but might not have unlocked all the stuff that we have, or you might have unlocked even more stuff than we have. I have no idea. And then the order that you unlock stuff greatly depends on gameplay too. So, if you're concerned about spoilers, just cut out now. We got your listen. Thanks so much. <laughs> we don't need you anymore. Get the fuck out of here. It also depends on if you pulled a Leland. Ah, yes. Don't you, pull You could have unlocked endgame content very early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could be done. <laughs> um, uh, spoilers. Boom. Spoilers. Here. Spoiler so, warning. Yeah. My response to you in regards to... Um, why am I drawing a blank? I'm actually tired. The initiative what with the little things influence influence, the influence markers is that now i have the cook which is a, a special meeple yep. minion that uh marty unlocked in his one of his crates I know, it was like I game three that. yeah it was yeah. pretty yeah. pretty early that was pretty early, early. Right. but what the the minion does just in case you're listening to this listener and you don't know what it does but you don't care for spoilers the cook when he is played uh, he draws one of your influence back from the open pool if you've already spent it. Right. And in addition, if one of your opponents then plays a meeple on that spot where he is, wherever it is, you then you get one get back. It. And that's generally how all of – that's the mechanic of all the minions. So the minions themselves, there are six different types of minions. We've unlocked two so far. We got the, sh- the cook, the chef or whatever, and, and the ghoul. The ghoul. I love the ghoul. Golem's great. So the minions are basically just additional workers. They come with a building that you build, and then you can go there, trade in resources to gain a minion. 
And the minions can only be placed in your charter and only on unoccupied buildings. So they don't bump workers like you normally would. Like if I try to go to the same building that Moby is already placed on, I bump his worker, he gets it back. Minions can't be bumped. Minions do not bump. So they can only go on empty building spaces. And yes, like Moby noticed, if, if you go to a space where a minion exists and it's an opponent's minion in your opponent's charter, then that opponent gets the minion benefit. So they're really cool. Like, I remember saying after, like, game three, we opened up that chef. Like, I was, like, I was so excited to play game four because, like, these minions, like, are blowing my mind yeah, right now. Yeah, they, they completely opened up the game. But now I'm, I'm feeling like we're getting, or personally in my charter, I'm getting to critical mass of usefulness for these minions. I've, I've already, I, that game six, because I took that special building that you built, Marty, that allowed me to place an influence marker to gain, uh, every time we got income from our guests, I gained a minion. I had so many minions that I was not placing because I have three buildings in my charter. I, and in game five, there were, uh, there were times where I had minions to place, only minions, not my regular workers. Uh, again, you could only go into my charter, but I, the building I had there, I didn't even have a resource that I could use to use the building. So I couldn't even use my minions. So I had to recall. That's so, becoming an issue for me as yeah. well. Like some of the buildings are, I don't want to use them. They're just, yeah, they're not good. Or, or like they use an influence or something and yeah. I can't afford it. Yeah. The whole point of the chefs is to get the influence back. Right. So if you're throwing your golem on there, which is golems, great. No matter what, you use a golem, you get a free resource. Yeah, it doesn't matter awesome. where you put them. And the dick that Moby is, he unlocked that in game. I don't know when you unlocked that. But, like, you held it back for at least a full game. I held it back as long as I felt I could because I had the free mini that I got with it. When you unlock the mini, you automatically get one of them, and then you get the building, which makes more of them. So, as long as you abide by your mini capacity, you keep that and hoard. You you were hoarding that gold. Sure. But what ended up happening, of course, I get that persona where if I withdraw two golems at one time, I get two victory points. Right. You, You... I mean, it's too juicy to not do. And I'm sure you guys have personas like that coming up as well. I'm sure. You know what, though? Some of the stuff that I've unlocked, like I had that one crate that was like a beginner charter crate. And I'm like, oh, these these buildings suck. I'm never going to use this persona. Like, I have not found a persona that I think is useful, as useful as the one guy that lets me draw. When I go for a secret objective, I draw the top three and pick one. That is so useful. That is very, very useful. Very useful. That's incredibly useful. And and so so the game, listener, the game, it encourages you to use different personas because the first time you use a persona, you mark a little box on it. So it's denoted that it has been played with at least one game. And uh, then you, I think at the end campaign, you're, there's some scoring points you get for all your used personas. So you're encouraged to use as many as possible. And for the longest time, I only had three. Like, game five, again, we opened so much stuff. Like, I jumped right up. I gained two more personas just in that game. Um, actually, though, now I've unlocked on my box where I can have two personas in a game. So, that's going to be interesting. I'm definitely going to pick Objective Guy. Yeah. And uh, I really don't know who else to pick, too, right? Some of them are just, I feel like they're just not good. Yeah. Some aren't good at all. It's so yeah. situational. I, I think having the ability now to play two is going to be awesome because you can still be using them. Yeah. But, I'll, but keep your faves. Right, exactly. You got the one, I got the one, I think I named him Ping Pong. I got the one Ping Pong, and I'll use, okay, whatever I think maybe I want to go for. Maybe, I don't know. 
Now, I want to circle back to that rule that I missed about the building and inactive charters. And I was thinking, I was like, I think that makes the decision of holding on to building cars way more interesting, right? Because you, again, you abide by your capacity for how your carryover for those development cards. Now, I've had three capacity in that. That was the first thing. First capacity, I went up. So I've had two guests, and uh, I think I named the chick Pele, who gives me an additional victory point uh, whenever I go to the cloud port, which I have been utilizing for almost every game. And I've had those three people since, like, game four, I think. Maybe game three, because I would have lost two games to up that capacity up too. I think you've had them since game yeah, three. Yeah, I've had those two guests forever. Yeah, that's something where I felt I lagged behind. Now I'm now I have a little bit off that. Yeah, but yeah, the guests are awesome. Guests are really cool. Yeah, I keep two at all times, yep. and I just score victory points off each of them plus a resource. Yeah, it's and, pretty good. Yeah, I just rock and roll. Uh, yeah, I really like them, but like I just think like coming to the decision of you holding on to that golem building, Moby. Now, with say okay, say you don't even want to build it, but you throw it in, and it may get randomly built, right? And also, I really like the now we have the sky tiles. Yes, those are really cool. Those are super cool. So we unlocked every charter gets four sky tiles. In the beginning of every game, now we choose two of our sky tiles to cover um, two spots in our charter. We can cover an empty building spot or a building that's already built, and then that's the active building. Uh, for that game. And it just can't cover an initial... Right. It cannot cover base a basic area. resource yeah. building. Now, Moby, you put your golem on a sky tile, did you not? I did. Right. Actually, but Leland, come on. That was your advice. It was smart. But you did actually advise that. I did point that out, yeah. I really think that's cool. It You've is. You've got a really nice building that maybe you can think at the beginning of your game and be like, you know what? I'm going to employ this building because I'm going to try to utilize it to its fullest this game. This is going to be the strategy I'm going to employ. Or you can be like, you know what? I enjoyed having this last game, but I think my opponents benefited from this yes. way more than it for me. I'm not putting it back in the game now. Right. I and, think that is really And cool. now we can rebuild over old buildings. Oh, too. yeah. Now we, yeah, we can throw buildings into any, any, again, aside from basic resource building, we can cover any of our previously built stuff. Yeah. Now, I'm wondering if I should build and cover up that secret objective. No, that would be stupid. <laughs> cover up my secret objective building. Oh, that would be brutal. Yeah, that would be brutal. So, uh, one thing that we commented on that player interaction, more so the lack thereof. Now, are you guys feeling like it's getting a little more involved? Are we getting a little more interactive with each other as far as, you know, influencing each other's strategies at all? I feel like at the most influence we have is like end game when it's like okay I'm gonna end this real fast yeah. so our opponent can't do something yeah that seems to be the biggest part I would agree with Marty so to answer your question directly um, which I believe was are you feeling it's more competitive yeah. more interactive no no um, I feel like Marty said at the end of the game it is um, I'm certainly watching that clock sort of tick down of turns or of, of influence. But no, I'm playing 100% my own strategy to hone my own harvesting of victory points. And I don't feel like you guys have that much say in my strategy. It's just who outcompetes whom with their own strategy. Does it make any sense? Yeah. I don't sense. have to directly conflict with you to make my strategy work. Right. Yeah, I I do. Uh, I guess I agree. I agree with that. I feel though that the player interaction is ramping up. 
just because we are getting more pieces. Um, there are more, there are becoming building spots that are clearly more lucrative than others. Yes. Um, you know, and the game is throwing at us, even though they're temporary, temporary rules per game that in, you know, are encouraging us to go to other charters. Like we had the one where if you go to a, an opponent's charter, you roll a die. If you get a symbol that matches yours or your opponent's, you both get a VP. That kind of stuff. And I, I also think that building in inactive charters also encourages you to go to those charters too, right? Uh, even though they're not being, they're not, they're never going to be as lucrative, right? If we see a good building, you're probably not going to throw that away into the deck for it to randomly be built. But I feel like um, now we are all gaining resources more quickly. Now we have the peril cubes. So, like, in, in game six, I went to some, to, I went to two buildings that really, I didn't care what the buildings were. I just wanted the peril cube. Hmm. Yeah, I did, I did yeah, that as well. Too, right? Um, now, again, that's not really, that's not player interaction. So that doesn't really support my point at all. <laughs> but, like, the cloud port now, there are so many, there are two additional things on that cloud port that we're all competing to get to, right? Like, um, I think two different times in game five you or game six, you took, you know, two spots that I was literally a placement behind on that cloud port to go to. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I know it's very limited, but I do think it is ramping up. And I really love the minion mechanic. I love that they go in your charter. One, because it just it just mechanically makes sense because they're not marked. They're all the same. If they go anywhere other than in your charter, how do you know which ones are yours? How do you keep track of how many you got? I, I think that's just, I don't know. I, I really think that's incredibly intelligent. And also the implications of that, like now, if I do have a lucrative building that I say I employ a sky building out there, I can get there and throw my minion and take that action that I'm betting benefiting from. And now I'm benefiting from my minions action when somebody else wants to go there too. I think that's encouraging more interaction. Um, that's definitely the other big player interaction is the minion thing. Yeah, I, th- and, I really yeah. think so. And, uh, and I agree with you. I think that is probably the biggest addition to the game thus far. Yeah, well, 100%. And w- one thing that you guys haven't said yet that I like is I feel the minions could be overpowered um, normally. But by restricting it into just your own place, you kind of tone it down a little bit. Yeah, my minions suck. Because <laughs> my buildings suck. Yeah. My buildings are not something that I could reliably go to every turn and be like, you know what? This is what I'm getting from this building is benefiting from it. Because again, they all some of them take different resources. Like I got, I got two buildings in my place. Again, this is because of the initial screw up I had where I opened up the wrong crate number. Because I have, I have pumpkin buildings that you know buildings that take pumpkin resources but i'm not the pumpkin dude i'm the wood dude i don't have any wood buildings so i got two pumpkin buildings that require pumpkins but i got the wood product basic resource building so if i want to get a pumpkin you know aside from any other means i have to use one of my regular workers to go to the basic resource building to generate pumpkins and then oh great i can throw my minions down on one of these pumpkin buildings right? right so my minions are I think are much less valuable than your guys because my charter sucks. <laughs> like, yeah. I, to be honest, I, I love my minions and I love my <laughs> place. 
I can, if I want, um, I don't know how fruitful it would be. I can run a near infinite loop by putting my golem on that. I think it's brick factory where I give a brick, get a victory point in a coin. But then because of my golem, I could immediately take that, that brick, brick back. Right back. And I can run that right. over and over and over. So you were just straight up trading a turn for a buck and a point. A buck and a point. And, a, and money is, again, and money And I can is cash tight. that over and over. And because it's not taking influence. Now, the problem with that, it's a well, slow you, burn. Exactly, right? Because you can't burn. you can't really do it over and over because that golem cannot be bumped. Right. You and, have to recall. And then you recall and then right. you're burning turns. And I feel like the games are going faster and faster. The games are going so fast. Game 6 was so fast. So, But do you think Game 6 was so fast because it was a back-to-back game that we played? Like we were already in it. We were in the mindset of it. We had just – because Game 5 was pretty yeah. lengthy. Game 5 was – I felt pretty lengthy. I think part of it was just how we scored points in Game 6. Yeah. A lot of it was on the uh, quarter track. And it didn't seem like we were taking too much time to build or make new rules or introduce new things. Game yeah. five, we did. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. But, you, but you're right, though. I, we definitely were ready, ripping and ready to go. Yeah. But I but I mean, game five, Moby scored 70 points in game five. Yes. I've scored like 68. So like, but uh, in game six, which I think I won, right? Yeah. I won yeah, with did. 50. Where does that point discrepancy come from? Yeah, I think part of that is that in game six, we were ripping through our uh, influence really quickly. Yes. And we didn't take the time to get it back. And I had a in game ton of influence we left. I, I, I probably had right. three quarters of my influence yeah. left. In but game- I – so I was the one that ran out of influence first. So again, to remind listener, um, when you run out of influence, every time your turn comes around, you move uh, on the progression track one – space which is basically the game's timer so i but so i ran out first but i didn't have a single point of influence left in the general supply i had it literally on all everywhere on the board and on objectives i only at any time in game six that i have two influence able that i was able to get back with those cooks which i did and i utilized so i don't know it was it was weird i didn't feel like my score was reflective for for how 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 you spent your influence? Well, I think I scored four objectives. There's that's twenty points. Yeah, but I did throw four, three or four of them onto that uh, reputation track to compete with you. I guess when a game goes longer, you're getting more of those like uh, one and two point VP points that's you true. get from your cards. That you generate just and, yeah. out of actions that don't cost you influence. Yeah. That's totally true. I didn't think of that. Yeah, man, very true. I mean, if you use that one where you have to spend a pumpkin to get a victory point and a buck or whatever. Yeah, I use that a lot. <laughs> yeah, if you do that ten times, that's ten victory points. Yeah, you know, I'm wondering if I'm going to go with uh, Ping Pong and I think I named his brother Pong Ping. He's the one that gives me VP every time I use a pumpkin space. Maybe I'll co- try to put those together next next time. One last thing that I uh, – observation that I had up until game six – you guys are always flush with money, with resources. Yeah. And I, my game is always so tight. Like, I am never throwing away excess stuff. It looked like the opposite this time. Game six was totally the opposite. I don't yeah. know what At happened. one point, I looked over, you had, like, everything. I had, I had, I had almost two of every, all six resources. And at one time, I had four wheat and three pumpkins, two brick, like, one steel. Like, it's funny, though, um, steel and coal i never get like i ignore every time that six resource objective comes in i never score i don't even bother going for it 
But with the golems and the additional yes. resource, it makes it much makes easier. It a lot easier. easier. Yeah. yeah, you just yeah. take it. Yeah, that's been saving my life for yeah. sure. Totally. Yeah, I don't know. And then, uh, but uh, like, how many wins do you now have, Marty? I have three wins. I got two, two, and Moby one. one. So, and you and I are I'm tied for uh, points right now. For glory points. For glory yeah. points. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> the last game we Moby's big worker died. Yes, yes. It was tragic because at first we thought it was Leland, but yeah. he hadn't counted up his glory yet. Well, no, we counted too many on yours. Yes, yes. We just we did a, we did a, a, we did something out of order, but the guidepost killed, uh, <laughs> it killed Moby's large worker. So it gave me essentially a super meeple who's like a, or, or minion who's like a spectral, um, Penis monster, Persona 5. Yeah, it does look like um, the head of a dick. <laughs> yes, yes. I think and it's supposed to be a ghost. with white. Um, but the interesting thing is, as long as I have it, I cannot win the game. I, I, you can't I, win the campaign. I can't win the campaign. Yeah. I should differentiate the overall game. So there are a few moderately easy ways of me getting rid of it. Um, but it will take direction. What I like about the three ways, and I remember two of them, I got to cash out a sorceress or a wizard. I got to pay nine gold. I forget the other. You got to get uh, one of two treasure cards. Which oh, yes. Even lost These yet. treasure cards, we didn't even know they existed, yeah. to be quite honest. Yeah. So if I cash any of those three out in a game, not the campaign, in a game, um, I can get my, my minion back. Right. But if I don't do that, if I'm an idiot, by the time the final game rolls around, I... Can't, can't win. win the campaign. Even if I ran the table, baby. The next six games that we play. So now the special ability of your specter is now that every time you bump or get bumped, you add may add an influence to the reputation track. Yeah, and that's interesting because there was only one game where I tried to win the reputation track. The other times I just tried to be competitive enough to get it, you know, at least seven points out of it. Right. I wonder if that'll change how I play. I'll, I'll have to yeah. see. I don't really have any other cards that can boost my influence, um, but I'm either close to or just completed the glory line that will give me an additional influence. I think I did do it to be competitive with like Marty. Like on the rep track? Yes, on the rep oh, track. Okay. So that Marty, instead of Marty having his excellent boost, he'll at least have me there with Nice. Him. Okay. Yeah. I So I started the game with three points. I've had that for a while. That was the yeah. first thing I went for. And now I, I have the extra persona in a game, and I think I'm halfway on something else. I forget what it is. It might be the minion one, which now I'm regretting because I don't need any more minions. <laughs> I guess I'm building some builders. Yeah, I'm really close to the uh, second persona. I'll get that next game. Oh, that's that is. Sweet. I'm yeah, that's fun. super excited to to really see what the last half of the game. I mean, there's something something you mentioned uh, in the first part there, Marty. <laughs> Uh, in episode 15 was like you were just wondering like how much and how long can the game keep up giving us stuff feels like it's gonna keep going almost right till the end i know right because like the game six the all five cards of that stupid market were just crates yeah like there's so many crates for us to buy and open Right. I'm going to have to maybe focus on getting some of them and getting some more buildings well when you think about game changing elements there's been quite a bit and yeah. like the sky tiles, the uh, minions, and uh, what are the 
the famine tokens or whatever those are. Oh, the peril tokens. Peril tokens. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. It's one of my less favorite mechanics they've introduced. Yeah. It's okay. It's inoffensive, but it's, it's almost like a little side quest. Yeah, very minimal. Right. Yeah. See, the problem with with that for me is that like they're randomly placed on every building. Yeah. So you're not even guaranteed of getting enough to score some of the objectives that are based on them to use some of the buildings that are based on them. So like those buildings that you, you both you and Moby have one building built, right? Where you use famine tokens. Yes. And Moby uses bandit cubes or yeah, yeah, they're cubes. They're not tokens. Like you get to the point where you both only got one use out of that building. Yeah. So it's like a one-off. Right. I don't I mean, so what is what does your building give you, Marty? Oh, Do you recall? Yeah, I think uh, it gives me two dollars and a VP, maybe, or maybe two for BP? two famine tokens. Yeah, two. I BP, wonder I if some of those peril tokens, if some of the colors are more prevalent than others, because Moby's gives you two bandits, you get four victory points. That's yeah. nuts. That's that nuts. is nuts. That is nuts. I haven't seen one like that. I really want to unlock some more minions. Yeah. yeah, me too. I want to see what the rest do. Yeah. You know what I'm actually most interested in? Um, crate number four is still floating out there. Is it? And I really, yeah, I almost bought it this last game. I forget what was on it. Because I opened the four. steel one. I think it's the coal one. Okay. Because if it's, it's four, one through six are the basic ones, right? Oh, okay. So we'll get some of the better coal buildings. Yeah. But again, they'll get thrown in randomly and randomly built. That's what happened with the steel ones. I threw them away. And they got built through the inactive charter mechanic, right? Right, right. So they do, they they came out. Okay. Well, at this point, like, those chests, like, they're not even worth going for. No. Like, I only opened that basic one because it was all I could have bought at the time in that market. Maybe I should have grabbed the top card and fished for a, a different one, but I don't know. You know what actually pissed me off with Game 6 is we unlocked friends, but none of them even came out in the market. Yeah. yeah. We literally threw, like, almost a dozen friends into that deck. Yeah. And, and the building – and so I used the persona that was, like, every time you use a building to gain a friend card, you get a, a buck and a VP, and I couldn't use it. Yeah, because there was no friends to choose from. Right. That's hit or miss for those, yeah. those personas. Okay, I know I said I had that last thing, but final thing I want to I wanna ask you guys about is do you – and this goes back to not entirely being sold on the whole legacy thing. Like, again, I game five, you, Marty, you built a building that I had to look up an FAQ to see exactly how that building worked because it was not entirely clear to us. Just through yeah, strictly yeah, there, through the symbology, it was not entirely clear. Oh, yeah, that was very confusing. Yes, and now it became very clear when you, I knew what it, when we understood how it worked and we read what how what it did. Okay, that makes total sense. And really, half of that we should have gleaned from other symbols in the game, which we actually did start to do on another building, right? Yes. With the development card symbol, where, yeah, you you do, you pay an action, you get something, and then also a development card, right? Yeah. Anything from the market or the top of the card, right? We ruled because it's the exact same way the actual marketplace works. But, like, this was a totally new space. I mean, it had a little hexagonal outline for an influence marker, um, it had the income symbol. So, like, I feel like we really should have been able to piece it together. But it's something you stop in the middle of the game. You're already stopping to f- fiddle with this stupid index that somehow I misread again. I <laughs> almost forgot about that. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I just I, – that also contributed, obviously, to slowing down game five. A little bit, yeah. That's where I think this, a lot of the slowdown came from. Is yeah. Trying to understand the new rules and also trying to understand some of the new cards. 
Yeah. Well, and unfortunately, I think it's a, a pattern that's been established with this game that it just doesn't have the best ins- or clear instructions. Yeah. I think we're going to be fighting. We thought that the first half of the entire Legacy game, we're going to fight that the second, the second half. half. Yeah. Um, the problem with it is, though, is that a mistake with that, like we made a Leland mistake, um, <laughs> absolutely breaks the game essentially to a point like you it, it's like wow, throwing a I, stick in the gears i don't think it breaks okay the but it i was think like, we the recovery from a mistake pulling a leland with the wrong crate proves that you can't break this game i think that's oh, a positive i think this game the system is incredibly flexible and uh even with the mistakes that we've made so far like you bet you come back from them now, I will say it does affect me a little bit because, like, my starting area was supposed to be coal, but then somehow it's turned into wheat. And because if I put a, some of my workers on the coal, you know, if I was actually getting wheat there, the wheat would be way more beneficial to my yes. other buildings. Right. So that, right. Same with me right. and, and the pumpkins, right? Yeah. If I was actually the pumpkin dude. Yeah. For me, it's uh, it's almost... Uh, no, it's, it's the same, same situation. It's the same right? situation, yeah. Right. Yeah. I just have even more cards that have, you know, or, or places now that have kind of evolved from that. Right. But uh, and it really only affects because of workers. Like, where I, because I would love. Now with Dominion. Dominion, right? yeah. Yeah. And Moby's sitting pretty. Yeah, Moby's perfect. With the perfect little, uh, little brick floating plate. brick island. But yeah. one thing I want to say along that matter, I know we still have six more games to go. But one thing I can see in this game's benefit is if it were to have ended today was only six games and I placed third or last, I still would have been very satisfied and not feel like a loser because I would have been proud of this little community I built with my mechanics and stuff like that. And I don't really think that's going to change at the end. That's cool. I like that. Now, I don't like my charter. (laughs) I do not like my charter. It's a piece of shit. And at this point, uh, we are all getting much more competitive. The scores are getting much closer. Even if it's not all three of us at the top, there's always at least two of us neck and neck, right? Right. Really close to each other. He means me. I sucked last two games. <laughs> right. And the game will be one. I was two points behind. But I, so now I feel like that is going to really bite me if I don't change the way I'm playing. In the last half of this campaign, because I can't afford to spend the time to now grow my charter into something that is as workable as yours is, Moby. I think mm-hmm. you're in a, you're in definitely in the best position right now. I think, yeah, moving forward. And it was you're okay. Maybe that maybe that is breaking it. Maybe you're right. Maybe I mean I that's what so I that's why I think it's very flexible because I think breaking is obviously hyperbolic. I think, but. It, if it sways the game towards you winning, yeah, maybe it is broken. Maybe we yeah. did break it just by misunderstanding some rules. Well, my charter is an engine. It, it really it, it is. Really and is. I, and I don't point, sense right? that your exactly. I think that's the original point, yeah. but I don't sense that yours and Marty's are engines Hell yet. No. I don't Hell know, Marty. No. Would you consider yours as an engine? That mine drives was at one point. But a lot found a lot of my like end or like I guess end game like mid game cards that I've been getting and building haven't been like yeah. conducive to it being an engine at this point. It was at one point, and uh, now it's not. Yeah, it's kind of breaking down. It is now. I'm wondering because so if you can recall the way you have been building and then opening crates 
Like, has it always been the building you've built, you've now opened the crate that the empty building card gives you, right? That's generally how Sometimes it's Sometimes it's giving me more than one building. Right. But what I'm saying is if you think of it as, okay, say you think of it, you start with your very first building card, which yes. is your basic resource. That's your very first crate you're going to open. And from there, that is basically, think of that as the top of this family tree. Now, it's chaining. It's spider webbing from that crate. Next, okay, you, that crate gives you now two more buildings. Now you build those buildings and you open both those crates, giving you two more bu- two more buildings, right? And it's all this interconnected web. Do you feel like that is how it's supposed to be? And now, since you and I have broken that web, you we can't get back onto it um, until, unless we f- somehow find the the crate that puts us back onto it. But have you always built? Because I know Moby definitely has. You've always opened crates from buildings that you personally have built always yeah. so i have i put myself in the situation where i was forced to buy already like empty uh building cards from the market buying crates from buildings that maybe you guys might have built and were forced to throw away now kind of throwing my web into yours giving me weird anti-synergistic buildings yeah, it's way too late for me to do to to go back to the no, you, you yeah, can't, like, right? It would, yeah, it would take it's impossible. Minutes. Yeah. Likewise, though, on it's going to be interesting to see what happens by the end of the game because, likewise, I don't feel that I can go back on my strategy now. I feel that my only way to give me a chance to win the campaign is I got to go all in on my engine, and I can say uh, that because I don't think you guys can really do much to block it yet. No, but right now I, I, I got to double down because. I and now that's a great point because I feel like I am actually very flexible in this game. Now, game like three and four, I heavy cloud port, cloud port, yeah. cloud port, cloud yeah. port. I think I came in second both those games. And then game five, uh, also I like focus on objectives. Like oh, I think it was game four, I ran the table on those objectives. Mm-hmm. I think I did. I did five or six of those objectives with my special look at three pick one guy. Right. I feel like that's what I got to home in on now. That's right. all I got, really. And now within the confines of the game, that's flexible. Um, but really, it's it's kind of inflexible if you think of it as, you know, outside of the box kind of thing, right? Right. Yeah, it's super interesting. Now, okay, at this point. So what you can do, I don't know if I've told this to you guys before. So the map, the board you get is actually double-sided. So on the other side of the board is a fresh board. And you can buy a recharge pack. Basically, you go. So that's why we keep all the cards that we've used, and they go into the archives. You go, you get the recharge pack, you get all the pieces that you've used, you refresh your game, and then you can play it a second time. Would you guys be interested in playing another game at this point? If the game ended, like you said, after six games, would there be any interest in playing a new game and trying something different? In a like, I'd have to give it a break, a long breather. I, sure, I agree. sure, I agree. But yeah, I think that would yeah. actually be kind of interesting. Yeah, playing a second time, yeah. right? And seeing the way, the different way it unfolds. Yeah. And now you know what we're doing. Yeah. You know what to expect. You know what you can plan for. There's there's an asterisk to that, too. I agree with what Marty said, but I would want to throw one or two brand new players into it as well. And up okay. The yeah. That was another thing I was going to bring up. Do you think, though, that we would be at a distinct advantage over those new players? Yes. Yo, 100%. 100%. At least they sp- well, you know what? Probably for half the game, I bet. Yeah, they, yeah, it yeah. would be so long. Even if we played once a week or in like two games at a time, I think it would take them that six games to catch up. Yeah. It's 
it's too hard. Like we would be expecting certain buildings and things, and like we'd that be to come sitting up. there and explaining everything, and be and it'd almost be ruining for, ruining it yeah. for them too. I think. Yeah. You know. Like, right. Unintentionally. Sure. Yeah, you'd have to be careful not to disclose anything you've already seen. And that would almost be unfair by not doing that, too, because, you know, you know something's coming. I know, right? And then you get to the point where, like, okay, we're not really legacying anymore, right? Yeah. Now, I wonder, though, if we'll get to the point where there will be stuff in that box that we do not see. Yeah, I was thinking about that, too. Right? There's got to be. Yeah. I don't know how much shit's going to be, right? I bet you we're not going to see all six of those minions. There are going to be minions that we have no idea what they are or what they do. Yeah, I bet. I got a question for you guys, something I wanted to bring up. Do you have any predictions about certain mechanics or changes that may happen? That's a really good question. I've got one, but... Shoot. Yeah, I believe at some point, whether it's a certain type of minion or new rule that introduce, you will get a firm blocking mechanic in your own charter, which will allow you to place it there... And you may or may not be able to uh, harvest from there, but you will for sure be able to block the other players while it's there. I'm sure a wall-type thing is coming up there. I wonder if we'll get an offensive-type character where we can go into someone else's charter and cause, like, some sort of issue. Some sort of chaos. Because it's very easy for them to say, like, you have to mark this minion or something like that, or it's a unique minion. Which we've kind of had something sort of like that in one game where we couldn't bump the little guy with, or the big meeple with the little uh, meeple. So mm-hmm. I think if that was to be something, yeah, it would be one of those temporary per game rules. Yeah. You know, I've heard like from other players, people and podcasters and stuff that have finished, like some of those temporary rules are really cool. But some of them are, that's kind of hit or miss. And, like, some of them are like, why can't this be prevalent throughout the entire campaign kind of thing? Right. So that's uh, that's interesting. I, I, I'm i going to say, I'm going to side on the fence that, no, I don't think that's going to be a thing. Um, just because it, I don't feel like it fits the tone of Charterstone, you know, the way that what the game's going for. I, I don't know. But I think I would love that. That would be awesome if you just ramp that interaction right up. Even if it was something... Yes, you get a little pawn that goes into your worker force, and you place it, and when you recall, it also comes back. So it's only there limited time, right? So there might be a window, if because that would encourage even more interaction. Like in that game six, I looked at your workers. I knew you had to recall. I'm like, okay, I want to beat him on reputation. If I do this and I can end the game, I'm the last in the round, meaning you won't get to go and spend your week to add use that building, right? It could be something very similar for that. Like, I see, okay, uh, he's going to recall next turn because he's got to. I'm going to maybe slow play, take another action, and then I'll, it'll be open for the next time I come around. Right. That could be really cool. Now, the box is, is made in a certain way that you don't actually know completely what's in your box. Is that correct? Like, you haven't seen all the different little pieces and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. They come in, you know, all the pieces come in their own little box. I haven't opened any of them. Yeah. Like, the minions all came in their own little box. I had no idea what was in So, there. we have no idea what's in the box. There, honestly, there's only three unopened boxes. Oh, okay. okay. But I didn't know those sky tiles were under a little leaflet in the very bottom of the Yeah, box that was cool. Until it's all this too, right? Because you don't take everything out of it. Yeah. We're only playing with three charters. We're not taking everything out of it. I think that's innovative. I thought it was really cool. One thing we haven't mentioned yet because it's not mechanic related. But in this past game, um, how it told us to go to a website, send an email. Oh, yeah. And now we can see our 
Blaskowitz? We can see Blaskowitz amongst all these other people. Yeah. And we can see how many players they have and how much glory <laughs> they have and what the names of their cities are. I don't know. It's kind of – it's really cool. It's really cool. I've never seen yeah. anything I like, like that. that. I like that. So. All right. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, great. We're going to finish this. We're going to get the recharge pack. We're going to get three other players to play a six-person game. You think your wife would want to play this, Marty? Oof, I don't think she'd want to because yeah. it's just, it's uh, such a long commitment. It really is. She'd want to play one game and she'd she'd like yeah. it. I just don't think she'd be that interested in well, yeah, keeping going. They do. Um, there are rules like to sub players in and out. Like someone, if someone wanted to join us now, yeah, there are rules to support that. They would jump in, take over an inactive charter. I think they would be at a very disadvantage. But even if, say, your wife played maybe the first three games. She could drop out. It would just become an inactive charter. All right. her stuff would go to the general supply, that kind of thing. So, yeah. So I think there is some flexibility in there too, right? Because getting six there. players for 12 distinct games of a single board game is quite difficult, really. Like, that's always the inherent, you know, the the hurdle that to really jump over for legacy-style games, right? Yeah. Hell, even, even campaign games. Like, side note, I really think you are uh, – not making a smart decision, passing on this potential Gloomhaven campaign there, buddy. Yeah. I've yeah, heard only amazing things, and that basically this is, it's like playing a video game RPG. Yeah, and I, I love that I hear that. Again, it's just, it's such a, a time commitment to it. Yeah, it is. And it that's is. really, really difficult just for where I am practically. And I realize it's something great, but it's almost like ignorance is bless, not knowing how <laughs> totally good it right. is. Yeah, yeah. is Makes me not miss it. Right. So. Okay. Well, yeah. final. Do you guys have anything else? We want to wrap this up? I'm very excited to do the next six games. Really enjoyed yeah, it so too. far. Um, we're going to get it done. Yeah. I was tentatively excited after the first two, but now I'm pretty stoked to play the rest. Yeah. I really I really think we're, we're probably going to get some more like dips and peaks and valleys of like new shit, I think. Just because it's generated through opening crates. Yeah. But I really think I need to focus on opening crates. That's what I got to do next game. I need All to right. get some. I got to open them. Okay. But bang, bada, boom. All right. Great. All right. Well, listener, thanks for sticking around. If you did, um, well, we guess we could do the end of the show stuff, right? Uh, yeah. Why am I blanking on that? Uh, it's, it's been a long time. Uh, here we go. Yeah. Titty Pop Cat. Yeah. The Titty Pop That's Marty's favorite pop. All right. If you want to check out our our show notes, uh, we got links to everywhere you can find us to download us. Go to our website at ttpopcast.wordpress.com. Soon to be a real website. Yes. Finally. I do have to work on that. I was going to do it today because I have the day off, but then uh, I actually went to the gym instead. So (laughs) That's a good day's work. (laughs) (laughs) An hour at the gym. Oh, I I can't do anything else. (laughs) He's got to think about his whole life before he goes to gym. <laughs> um, uh, the Rackpole Deadlifts went way better than last time. Oh, good. Uh, I put a, put a like a notch lower, right below the knee. Yeah. No, no problems at all. Good. Anyways, uh, you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud. You know, give us some ratings. Give us some likes. Oh, we're on Instagram now. Uh, we posted some stuff. Maybe follow us on Instagram. Um, I'm on Twitter. Right? It's uh, at... T underscore HUD underscore Rapid and I've been Leland Steele. And I'm Marty. And I'm Moby. Thanks, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye. <laughs>